Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. And here we are, back again with another season of your favorite wine podcast out of Paris, Wine School Dropout. You did know I was in Paris, right? Yes, like Emily, I too am here. And this season, I want to share the real life, work, and cultural experiences of other Americans in Paris, or France in general, as they relate to food and beverage. There are quite a few of us expats here, and well, our life is not quite like the popular show Emily in Paris. Therefore, things this season will be a little bit different as every episode won't be completely about wine, but don't fret, wine is fully intertwined within the French culture, so you'll get your fix. While also learning about aperitifs, food pairings, French wine terms, dining culture, and more. Well, enough of me talking about it. Let's get into this new season. We'll call it Tanisha in Paris. Enjoy. When I lived in Washington, D.C., happy hour was a culture, like a real thing. I couldn't wait to leave work and meet up with friends to talk about work. More so the people at work over dollar drinks. Didn't quite matter what the drink was. It was cheap and it made the conversation flow. Then I moved to Paris, where the culture of drinking after work was a bit different. Apéro or aperitif hour is yes, a time to decompress after work, but it's so much more and different than that. The time to drink, what the drinks are, more intentional in particular in French culture. For this episode of Wine School Dropout, I'm speaking with two Americans that live in Paris, about the drinking culture here and what Apero Hour means to them. So please tell me where you're from and how you got here, here being Paris. You know, I kind of got here like so many, I think Americans just through sheer stubbornness. I just wanted to be here. I came here. I was going to come to France for six months originally and study French. And then I just never left. And I just kept doing everything I could to stay and figure out job things. And I mean, you know, the routine, right? Like you just want to be here, but it's not like just, there's no golden ticket. Well, I mean, no. not for people like me that like don't have unlimited funds or whatever. So, um, so yeah, I just fell in love with it after I came for six months and, you know, that was 20 years ago. So now I'm here, here, here. When you think about drinking culture, if you can remember, because it was 20 years ago, um, how is that different what you knew then from what you know about drinking culture um, in France now? Like, what do you think are some of the differences? 
Well, I think there's been a pretty drastic difference in terms of cocktails, which as you know, is kind of my thing. When I first came here, I spent a lot of time drinking wine because I also really enjoy wine and there wasn't really a strong cocktail culture. When I started writing and blogging about cocktails back in 2006, 2007, it was really hard to find a decent cocktail bar anywhere. Now it's hard to keep up with them all, you know, and keep them on the blog. So, you know, one of the funniest things I found, I guess, funniest now, frustrating then is I spent a few years just exploring wine. Then I was ready to get back into cocktails in France and I would go into these bars and I would order our martini because I like a martini and the French just never, you know, I never got a martini. I would get, I would get sweet vermouth, the martini brand, vermouth blanc just in a little glass with a little piece of lemon, which is far different from a martini. I mean, it's a nice little drink. Yeah. But like a martini is a big, stiff, you know, serious cocktail and a vermouth blanc is a little sweet and delicate and lovely, but completely different. And they would get very um, insistent as I would say, oh no, this is not a dry martini. I'm looking for a martini cocktail. I'm trying to find the words to explain it to them. And, you know, many times I would get this, you know, bartender, madame, you don't know what a martini is. I'm like, you know what, dude, I'm American. If they don't know it, they're like, no, it doesn't exist. Exactly. So, I mean, that's kind of, I guess, a little snapshot on on maybe how things have changed and and what I wish I'd known when I kept ordering all those martinis back then. But, you know, fortunately now um, I can get a good martini in so many bars in France. And I like to think that's in part because I was just insistent on ordering martinis everywhere. Is that how you would say it? Like if you were to go into a place now, would you still just say martini or is there a special way to ask for the one that you wanted and not the martini brand? I probably wouldn't ask for a martini anyway, unless it felt like a bar that already that I knew they were going to make a decent one. But if I was really going to try this, I would say, um, you know, I'd like a dry gin martini cocktail. And so they know that I'm, I'm not looking for the sweet thing. I'm looking for gin. I'm looking for a cocktail. And the martini you mentioned, the vermouth, mm-hmm. is that considered yeah. an aperitif? Yes, definitely. I think that um, a, a lot of French homes have it in their, in their houses for aperitifs. Now, I honestly don't see that many of my friends drinking it or, or French people that I know, but I have, um, I think outside of Paris more often been at people's homes and they've asked me, oh, would you like some martini for, for an aperitif? So I think any of the vermouths uh, really that's their place in French drinking culture as an aperitif. Can you explain what is an aperitif? It's really a drink. Uh, it, technically, it's a drink that, that prepares, your, prepares you for a meal to come. Aperitif, the word, uh, the base of the word comes from um, the word to open, and it's to open your appetite. So if you want to get really technical, an aperitif is, is something that's not going to kill your palate. It's going to wake your palate up. It's going to get you ready to, to eat. And specifically, a lot of times aperitifs are a little sweet or a little bit bitter because those kind of flavors make your mouth salivate, which also gets you ready to, to eat because it makes you, you know, it's preparing you to digest. That's what your, your saliva sounds not so sexy, but your saliva helps you digest. So that is like a really technical way to explain it. And I think that um, the Italians do that best with their aperitivo because all of their aperitivos are, are sort of light and really do prep you for eating. That said, in here in France, that's really rarely what happens. I mean, people go for an aperitif, but they, you know, they really just call it, we're going for an apero. And that just means we're going for a drink after work. We're going to go grab a drink before we probably have dinner, or maybe we'll just drink instead of having dinner, who knows, but it's, it's more, 
this just culture of drinking, you know, at around seven, grabbing a beer with your friends. And so I would say it's just a fun little moment to have a drink. I tend to agree. Uh, going out for a aperitif or Aperol, it's kind of, to me, it seems kind of like happy hour just later. Because like in yeah. America, happy hours like five to seven. When they do their specials, like five to seven, maybe eight. But here, well, happy hour. They're like happy hour from 3 p.m. to closing. I'm like, well, those are a lot of hours <laughs> to be happy. Like, this Yeah, that's right. a lot of happy. I'm not happy that, that much. Right. Like no one is. And I don't necessarily drink anything specific or different, but there are certain things that are even just on the menu, on a French menu that say aperitif. So like martini that you mentioned before, or um, Lillet or... Um... Exactly. Yeah. You know, another one that always kind of like surprised me when I first moved here, because it's not in, is not in my American culture, is port. Like a lot of French people will drink port as an aperitif. And I remember working in a restaurant in very early days. I mean, literally when, you know, the first year I was here and an American... Um, table asked for a port for a digestif. I went to the bar to get it. And the bartender was, no, 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 you don't drink port after dinner. You drink it as an aperitif. So, you know, there's that line of thinking as well. A lot of these kind of for either these fortified wine type of things like the vermouths, either sweet or um, port or the things that are bitter, like soos, like these gentian based things, or um, things that are anise like pastis and well, not so much absinthe because it's a little bit high in alcohol, but you know, these Ricard, uh, these pastis flavored drinks. So these are all things I think of as very typical French aperitifs and that you'll see them listed on every menu, but I still wonder who's drinking them because literally, except for pastis, I don't really see people sitting around drinking sous that often or, or Lillet even. I see Lillet from time to time. Like when I've had it, I'm always like, I should drink this more. But then I never buy it. But it is a great aperitif. It's very light. Yeah. You have it with some sparkling water or maybe some sparkling wine. Um, tonic sometimes a little too overpowering for it, but I'm a fan every time. The white and then also the um the rose one. one, right? Yeah, me too. If I were to want to aperitif the French way, or we're talking to the audience and telling them, this is how you aperitif the French way, what would you suggest or what would you tell them? I think it's lovely to, to use these, to go with these classically French aperitifs, like the Lillet or like the Suze or like the Pastis and have something. It's the, They're generally lower in alcohol. So that's kind of a nice way to start your drinking evening. And aperitif is usually, you know, starts seven-ish or so. So get one of these, choose your, if you want it to be bitter or anise, licorice you know, or sweet, choose your one. And then also choose, you know, I think that something I really appreciate in French bars, especially around the apero is they always put a little snack out, not too much to spoil your appetite, but do that. And then get some little pretzels or peanuts, just something, because I think the French really like to eat while they're drinking as well. What is your go-to aperitif? If you're like, I'm going to aperitif tonight, this is what I'm going to have. Mm. I really like things that are bitter. So I'm a big fan of something like a Negroni. You know, I like something that's either a Susan tonic or a Negroni. So I go for those bitter flavors. Uh, If I'm doing this for other people, you know, I might either try a Negroni Spagliato, which is a Negroni where the gin is replaced with champagne, which makes it a little bit lighter. Uh, So those are kind of my go-tos. I always also just make sure that I always have 
white wine, like a dry white wine and a sparkling wine on hand. Like I always have a bottle of each of those in the fridge because, you know, inevitably somebody's going to be like, I don't really care for bitter. And that's fine. You know, you want your aperitif moment to be enjoyable and not always a, an educational palate training moment for your guests. Right. And I have had apricot and aperitif with Forrest. So I can, yes, my hand is raised. I can agree with that. There is a sparkling, there is a white, and there is something bitter. And then also the opportunity to perhaps taste test some other things. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't ever pass up the opportunity to get some other people to help me taste test cocktails. So for sure. When you do your aperitifs, do you like to do a charcuterie board? It depends on what I have planned for the night. I actually have pretty strong feelings about this. Honestly, if I have people coming over and I think we're going to move into dinner, I don't do a charcuterie board. I think, nope you're going to get something like these small things, like, like nice nuts. I mean, I go beyond like the pretzels, like you'll get in a bar here, but they'll either be nice nuts or it'll be a tapenade or it'll be, you know, something kind of fancy, but small. And I don't, but now when you start pulling up the charcuterie, I consider that, that we're moving into the territory of apero dinatoire, which has become so much more trendy. Right. And so like a lot of the younger generation, they're not moving on to dinner they are basically having their dinner with their aperitif. And that's when I'm like, okay, yep. I'm going to pull out the charcuterie. I'm going to pull out the cheese. Uh, you know, I'm going to pull out all of like all of the little sn- snacky snack things, a lot of them to go with my aperitif. And then it just becomes more of like a cocktail party, cocktail snack party. Um, but, but yeah, I don't love, I feel like a charcuterie board is very heavy. If you're just going in for like a quick, like before dinner drink, but I know people love it and they look super cute on Instagram, right? You get them all piled up with all the goodies. Yes. It's become a very popular thing. I mean, here is just a way of life, but it's become a very popular thing in the States, uh, pretty trendy. And they do theirs a little bit different than the way it's done in France. You mean just the way they're all piled high with like some vegetable, well, the fruit and vegetables and cheese and charcuterie and everything filling every spot like that? Yes. <laughs> yes. I think it's super pretty. I have to tell you, my Pinterest is full of pictures of those kind of boards because they really are pretty. So I do think they make nice um, snack tracer parties and things. I just feel like sometimes I try to be cautious about not overfilling people with a lot of charcuterie and cheese before I might be filling them with other food. Recently, I was in London and I went to this great bar called La Coupette and it's sort of this, um, you know, it's in London, but it's got this French influence and they um, work with Calvados and things like that. They've got some really interesting things and they also have a charcuterie and cheese board and they brought it out and I thought, this is beautiful. We're not having dinner. I've eaten everything on that board. It was like these amazing, like, you know, cold cuts and meats and beautiful cheeses all cut up and like lots of other little snacky things. But I thought, I would never like see like in a French bar, like this much stuff on a charcuterie board. Like this is a big, massive bit of everything, which was delicious, but, um, but not very French in terms of what I see in the cafes here. Now tell me a bit about 52 martinis and how that came to be. Well, I think part of it is a little bit of what we were talking about, about before where there was such a strong wine culture that I really appreciated, but I got to the point where I really missed cocktails. And so I started getting out and, and, looking for martinis and looking for cocktails. You know, I'd always been been used to mixed drinks in the States. So, you know, I always had martini glasses at home and I love to entertain and make cocktails. And so I really just wanted to get out and find that. So the initial beginning stages of 52 martinis was just me thinking, okay, I'm going to get out and every week, just make a little effort to find a bar that actually does cocktails. 
And so that's when I discovered so many of these martini, not real martini martinis. And then it just kind of slowly grew after that, you know, as I had people coming out to visit, they'd say, okay, we know that, you know, all the cocktail bars these days, where should we go? What should we do? So I transitioned all the notes that I was taking to a blog because it was a really easy way for me to keep track of all that information. It's blogs are practical ways to document things. And, um, and then it just kind of grew on its own. And so, I mean, as you know, now there's a podcast related to it and an iOS app and, you know, I'm always kind of messing around doing some other cocktail related thing with my 52 martinis, but it's basically all about drinking, drinking culture in France. Now for the best aperitif, if I want to make one at home or start preparing myself to make aperitifs, what are some things that I should have on hand? First, I think kind of identify your flavor profile preference. But so for me, I always have Campari and I always have Aperol, these sort of like very typical uh, Italian aperitif bitters on hand, because those are really easy uh, to mix up with tonics or with sparkling water. But I also have some vermouth. So for me, you know, pick a vermouth, pick a bitters that you like, and maybe one, when I say pick a vermouth, pick a sweet vermouth, like a sweet red vermouth, and then pick a bitters. And so that way you can kind of cater to your guests, the ones that aren't so into bitter, you can give them a little sweet vermouth with soda water. The other ones who like bitter, you can do a little soda water and the bitters. And then you can also take those things and mix them together and add some gin and make a Negroni. So I think that you've got a lot of different things you can do Options. if you've got those different pieces. Yeah. I also, uh, I always have white wine or champagne. And, you know, also gin and tonics, like gin and tonics are always a classic and they are taking off more and more in France. So, um, so I've always got those on hand as well. You mentioned the Negroni and then Negroni Spagliato. Spagliato. Can you give us the recipe for that or like exactly what goes yeah. in it? Cause it's equal parts. So it is. And I love the equal parts recipe because not only cause I, I just don't have to mess around with my measuring, but also it's easy, especially with the Negroni. Like say you want to kind of make a big batch for, you know, if you're going to make an apparel, I get two or three people around just like make a big batch of it. Um, so it's an equal part sweet vermouth. Campari and gin. So it's just those three ingredients. You mix them together, you stir them together over ice, and then you pour them into a glass over ice with people. You can put a little lemon zest on it if you want, or a little dehydrated orange if you want to get fancy, but you don't really need to. And uh, for and the, the spagliato. And so that basically is the same thing, but you're replacing the gin with sparkling wine, with Prosecco, probably is the best one to do. And so that's the same thing. It's just a little bit lighter and it's bubblier, a little bit more festive. And uh, yeah, I, I like them because they're easy going. You don't have to worry about, you know, really your measures. You just have to do equal measures. And some people like to put them in a champagne flute. I like to serve them in just a little small glass with a little piece of ice. You know, it's a little bit more sophisticated than just saying, okay, here, I'm just pouring Prosecco. It just takes things one step further. And you know what? There's also always, we're in France. So there's also always the Cure Royale, right? If you want to just, you know, or, or just a cure. So that's another option for something easy you can keep at home because you just need your bottle of your um, syrup. But you know, that's also great. Like, because then you can have stuff you likely have on hand, like wine and sparkling wine, white wine and sparkling wine, and just like dress it up with just a little drop of creme de cassis. Or as you know, you could also make, <laughs> make them with lots of other little, like, you know, little liqueurs that you might want to put in. Yes. So, I mean, you know, I spent a lot of time in Le Perche and kind of towards Normandy. And that's also a really big aperitif here. If you want to, if people want to do something that is um, just a little bit like different from the ordinary, um, there's the Cure Normand, which is, um, 
which is cider and cassis. And that is very, very, like it's popular. People have it around here all the time. I really like it a lot as well. I can see that being very refreshing. Yeah, it's good. It's good. And it's just a little bit different. Yeah, um, different depth of flavor and, with the cider, with that apple. Yeah, and it's something that I actually do see people drink a lot, whereas I don't see people in Paris drinking Kier very often. In Normandy, I see people drinking the Kier Normand a lot. Well, Forrest, thank you. Before I let you go, where can we find you? Because you are all you over can, the way. Oh, usually I am. You can find me pretty much everywhere as 52 Martinis. I'm on Instagram, uh, Facebook as 52 Martinis. That's 52 Martinis. I've got a website that's 52martinis.com and podcast called Paris Cocktail Talk, but you can link to that from my website and an app called Paris Cocktails that helps people find good cocktail bars in Paris. So, uh, so yeah, a, a little bit everywhere. Wonderful. Well, thank yeah. you so much for giving us the scoop. And um, well, it's not quite a aperitif hour, but uh, I think I might have to make myself a little aperitif soon. I'm also looking forward to having an aperitif with you soon. It's not a secret that France loves cheese and wine, so not surprising that an entire culture revolves around the consumption of these two great gifts to the culinary world. Come and discover one of the best parts of French culture with the cheese and wine class or a wine tasting class. Join my classes. They're a great opportunity to experience the French terroir. During these two-hour classes, you'll sample some of the finest cheeses and finest wines, learn the techniques and language of cheese tasting and wine tasting, and also the concept of terroir. You'll spend a great evening in a relaxed atmosphere with beautiful surroundings in the heart of Montmartre with me at Cooking with Class Cooking School and get a great head start to fully understand and appreciate our love for French cheese and wine and help you approach them with greater confidence. Visit cookingwithclass.com, C-O-O-K-N-W-I-T-H-C-L-A-S-S and search Paris Classes for more information or to book your date. Where are you from and how did you get to France? So I am from New York. I grew up on Long Island. I've lived in the city for over 20 years now and uh, mostly Brooklyn. And I got to Paris really, I came here really for this project that I've been working on for the past like couple years. Originally, it was a consulting opportunity and then COVID happened and it's sort of morphed from being a cocktail bar concept to being a cocktail delivery concept. And as my now business partner and I um, were sort of hashing out and fleshing out that idea like teaching zoom classes out of my kitchen in Brooklyn and my bar is closing. And suddenly someone's like, do you want to come to Paris and, you know, bootstrap a business with me? And I'm like, well, yeah, what else am I doing? How's your French? Did you know French before you came? Did you study it? 
I got here having high school and some college French, never having like really spoken French in France. And I got here thinking I knew how to speak French. And then I, you know, got sat in my class at Paris at the, in the Sorbonne and like, was just like, well, okay, I don't understand a single word that anyone's saying. <laughs> like now it always blows my mind. Someone hears my accent and people will just immediately start speaking English to me, which I think comes from a place of real generosity and an impulse to sort of be inclusive and also to probably practice English. So now my French is c'est pas mal. My accent is still very present and sometimes my vocabulary is lacking, but I have a really good foundation of like solid grammar understanding and like the way that sentences are put together. And I bet that helps with your business and your business concept. Yeah, it does. So yeah, we are a cocktail delivery business. We opened in the middle of confinement. So we launched in November of 2020 and, you know, yeah, full like beginning of, I think the second or third confinement here in Paris. And the whole concept really was bringing ready to drink artisanal cocktails to people's homes around Paris while they can't go out to bars. So it was really just trying to sort of recreate as best as we can this bar experience for people. And while I'm not yet at a space where I'm making drinks and I'm putting it right in front of you and watching you drink it, even just sending something out to someone's home and seeing a picture they post on Instagram of them enjoying the cocktails in their home with their family or whatever has been a way for me to feel like I have some sort of connection and community that I really had been missing for a while. Also just kind of getting to work with a lot of the produce here, which has always been, you know, for coming from New York where, I mean, great green markets and great farmers and stuff, but just in terms of the seasonality of things, there's just so much more abundance here and so much more variety in terms of the produce and fruit and vegetables that you can access. So many amazing craft spirits here too. We're trying to survive and we need a drink. Yeah. I mean, the whole concept came because of the pandemic. I mean, the original idea really was a bar and we are still actively working toward that. And I am hoping that we will be opening our bar in the next few months here in Paris. You know, anyone can make themselves a G and T, you know, like we're happy to, I'm, I can, you know, there's all kinds of ways to like gussy up a GNT. I'm like literally right now drinking a fancy GNT that I made with like all these infusions or whatever. But I also think like being able to just sit at home and have someone show up at your door with cocktails that are literally like you could just put an ice cube in it and drink it from the beautiful jar that it comes in. It has the garnish. We have little apero snacks that you can get with it. And it's sort of like an experiential thing that I think just helped to break up some of the monotony where you don't have to do anything. I don't want to make anything. I just wanted like drink something that's different than what I would make myself. Um, that's not just me pouring like some vodka and some soda into a glass. And that's something that is a little bit different in French culture. In American culture, we have a lot more prepared food, um, ready to drink cocktails have been kind of a thing for a while. But what I've noticed in France is they make a lot of things fresh. There aren't a lot of things that they really do prepare. So how was it with um, kind of rolling out this program, this project here? How was it received? One thing I'll say is that anyone who tried us 
we have had like an amazing sort of just retention in terms of regulars and people who are repeat customers. And I think that one of the things that differentiates us perhaps is that we are not, nothing's pasteurized. We're not like, this isn't like a shelf stable product. It has a shelf life. It's made with fresh press, you know, cold press juices, local ingredients, you know, it's, they're very thoughtfully made, very seasonal kind of like culinary perspective cocktails in the sense that generally the flavor profiles that I like to play with are maybe not as expected. I like to sort of find things that I'm often like inspired by a savory dish I might eat or a salad or, you know, something like that. And then I'm like, well, how can I make this a cocktail? So I think in that regard, we definitely appeal to a French consumer because it still is this like handmade artisanal product. Whereas I think some of the like more packaged prepared cocktails that you can see in the States, like sit on the shelf at a liquor store and they have lots of preservatives and lots of sugar, but it's been interesting just in general to kind of see what the pandemic has done in terms of some of these things that were really not part of French culture before that really became a part of the culture very quickly, at least in Paris, just delivery in general. I'm from New York. Like we get food delivered all the time before the pandemic. Like it's all kinds of food, not just all kinds and sushi, anything, anything that you might want, you can get delivered. And that's just been a big part of the culture. And so we, I think kind of came into that space and tried to do it in a way that I think felt a little bit more aligned with the values that I appreciate in French culture. We've been through this whole thing, really trying to do it in a way that's felt really thoughtful and really aligned with the values of this culture that really is about community and like social support in a way that I don't think American culture is quite as much. (laughs) In your delivery, it's a couple cocktails and then also an um, Aperol snack, something to go with it. So would you consider your cocktails a little more aperitif to be enjoyed maybe like before a meal or just kind of in their own situation? They definitely vary. I love Aperol and I love aperitif cocktails and I love just like that whole sort of genre of spirits and all of that. But I think so sometimes, you know, there are definitely some that would 100 percent make a lot more sense before dinner than maybe after or during, but then sometimes, you know, it's sort of like, I just like to make whatever I feel like making. So there are definitely some that are a little bit more maybe digestif leaning than aperitif leaning. At this point, there are very few things that I can think of that you couldn't justify drinking for apero with the exception of maybe a glass of port or like some, you know, really hardcore like digestif amari or something. Thinking of Aperol culture here and then happy hour culture in the States, do you think those are similar, different? I think they have similarities. Like I think I were to describe Aperol to an American, I would certainly bring up happy hour as an example of relationship, but they are to me also very different. Like happy hour to me is always about deals. Like happy hour is like all about oh, they've got, you know, two for one, like Long Island iced teas or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like never, no bar should ever get the big that. beer for the little beer price. <laughs> exactly. Like you can get a pint for whatever, you know, mm-hmm. but I think, um, or right, like $5 margaritas or whatever it is. And that 
also feels very American, right? Like you're really focused on this sort of like the consumer experience. Um, and it's kind of about dollar signs, but I also feel like happy hour. It's not as like entrenched or established in the same way that Apero is like happy hour feels to me a little bit like it's really directed toward office workers who are getting off at five or 6 PM. And they're like going to have a drink with their coworkers before they go home. And it's also not really about a specific style of drink either. It tends to just sort of be a few main categories of cocktail and like a cheaper price on beer. Whereas I feel like apero is much more pervasive. I think that in general, it doesn't matter if you're like retired or an office worker or an artist or whatever, like you're going to go have an apero. It's like a prelude to dinner, which I love because to me, that is just so French. Like it is just so French to be like, we are going to create this whole genre of drinks and this whole sort of experience. And we're going to call it a thing. And it is like designed to get you ready to eat dinner. (laughs) I think that's sort of, you know, a lot of these like actual aperitif drinks like vermouth or dry sherries or like a kir or any of these things are relatively low in alcohol and they're always had with something to snack. I love also like the first time I learned the term apéro dinatoire, which is so I've always like my favorite kind of dinner I've always called snack dinner and that is what it is. I'm just going to eat enough snacks that I don't have to actually, I'm just going to stretch this apero through when dinner should have been by continuing to eat my, my nuts and my cheese and my whatever, my charcuterie. And yeah. I like that when I'm prepared for it. Mm. If I'm not prepared for Epico then I'm like, so we're not eating. We're so it's not be a <laughs> meal. Like I'm upset. I'm like, so this is it. Oh, oh, just me. Oh, nothing else coming out. Not a quiche. We don't have a tart in the back. <laughs> we order some pizzas. Like this is. No, you have to. I mean, you have to bulk out. If you're going to commit to the apéro dinatoire, you've got to like actually do actually the dinatoire. dinatoire right. Not just like have two bowls of nuts and a um, packet of chips. Like, no, no that's not going to cut it. And we're probably going to stop being friends because you had me come to your house and you <laughs> have enough food for me to eat. Oh, my God. Like now I got to go to McDonald's. Now I have to be American. I mean, there's honestly nothing I fear more than the idea of like having guests over and not feeding them enough food. That just goes against like every Jewish grandma element of my, my mind. And also you have a service background. So you, right. Oh, I'm a feeder. Like I'm like, you've got it. So yeah, that is my worst nightmare. The idea that someone would leave my home and be like, oh, I'm hungry. I've got to go to McDonald's. favorite Izzy's cocktail oh that's like that's a very hard it's like question. which one of your fingers are your favorite the bamboozled which is actually very appropriate for this conversation because it's such an aperitif cocktail so it's basically a bamboo variation and a bamboo is made with sherry sweet vermouth and dry vermouth and my sort of take on that has those elements it has a really dry amontillado sherry some dry vermouth, sweet vermouth. And then I also put in 
some uh, Pinot de Charente, which is, you know, another sort of wine-based aperitif here, um, which I love how many varieties there are here and how sort of like delicious they are. And also a bit of verju, which I use a lot in cocktails and mocktails, which is the juice of unripened grapes. So there's no alcohol in it. It's very acidic, very tart. And I love it for bringing some acidity and vibrance into cocktails without having to use citrus, because I think sometimes citrus just doesn't have a space, but you Mm -hmm. want that tartness. And that's Mm -hmm. a really nice way to do that. And then a little bit of a syrup that I make with some fresh pressed grapes, rosemary and bay leaf and some peppercorn. And so it's very autumnal. It's sort of rich, but dry at the same time. It's like, I think it's very balanced. I'm about to place the order, right? (laughs) Let me get So yeah, that's, that's been a favorite of mine. And for me, that is like a classic apero drink. We do a popcorn that we rotate weekly that I do just like different flavors. And I love that one. There's one I do a lot where I'll take olive oil and just fry some fresh bay leaves and then like pop the popcorn in that. And that's just like delicious. It's so simple, just like salt, pepper, bay leaf, olive oil. And because there's bay in the cocktail, those go really nicely together we're also now doing, we just added a couple of new little snacks. One is a sort of, they're both like bar nut inspired, but one is a Thai dish. It's like fried peanuts. They're fried with, well, I like oven fry them. It's basically air fried, but they're fried in coconut oil with kefir lime leaves, some lemongrass, some like very spicy dried chilies and garlic. And then the other is like a sweet, salty pumpkin seed, like pepitas with um, ginger and cardamom and some clove and cinnamon. I just always think of ideal bar snack should sort of hit every part of your tongue. Like you want to hit all your taste buds because I think that's what any good food does. And that's what good cocktails do, but there should be some element of either saltiness and or spiciness that makes you want to keep drinking the drink (laughs) and then they should taste good together. So that's always what I have in mind with those things. But I also think like, I mean, especially the bamboozled, anything with sherry, I always think tastes so good with cheese. And obviously the spectrum of cheeses here is like to die. And sherry (laughs) is so underrated and underappreciated. Yes. I just always love to have a bottle in my fridge because I feel like just that sherry with tonic and some olives. Oh, like that is just one of my absolute favorite first drink of the day drinks long day you you know come home you're tired what is a quick aperitif you can make like something you can make really fast minimal ingredients not like 17 things and bitters and you know mm-hmm. let it marinate for a second what can I make that would 100% be one that is like generally the thing for me that I like to have either a sherry. And I tend to go for like a drier sherry. Like I okay. like an Amontillado I was going to ask what style sherry? Amontillado? Like, yeah. A drier sherry. Like a, I like an Amontillado. A manzanilla could totally work as well with a really dry tonic. Those together I love, and you can throw some citrus in there. Honestly, I mean, this is a very Spanish thing, but I love like a green, like a salty green olive in sherry and tonic. I think that is just such a delicious combination. It sort of hits all of those savory, nutty kind of notes. 
you know, I love olives and drinks. I love martinis. So I'm always like, give me the olives. Yeah, I want because always they're extra. delicious. Yes. Yes. And yeah, I mean, snack but, to go know. with this, would it be olives too? Or would there be another kind of salty snack like pretzels or chips or something like that? I mean, I think like olives are great. I think olives would be great if that's what you have, but I think honestly, yeah, pretzels, nuts, any kind of chip. I tend to generally have like nuts in my cabinets, mm-hmm. chips. I have trouble keeping in the house, so I don't often buy them unless I have people coming over. But yeah, I think even just like a, a nice cheese, like a, like a Conte or something like that would be great with that. Another one that I love and I always have on hand is I, I love Campari. I love its bitterness. I think it can go either way, but it's bitter enough that you can bring it into a digestive kind of space, but it's also kind of citrusy and light enough that I think it makes a really nice apero. And for me, I just love Campari and soda. I wouldn't really do tonic because you're bringing in more sugar and more bitterness and you don't really need to add either of those things. But for me, what I love is just like a really tall glass with say 30, 45 ml of Campari, fill it with ice, top it with soda and just like a ton of lemon juice, like fresh pressed lemon juice or muddle some lemons in there. A Campari and soda is usually my go-to. And I just find something about the bitterness and the citrusiness of that really does actually whet the appetite. It's sort of like, it kind of opens up and also settles your stomach at the same time in a way that like really prepares you to eat something a little bit more robust. Well, all right. I have my notes. I know what I'm (laughs) drinking next, what I need to have on hand in order to make a good drink. Allison, thank you. Tell us all where we can find you. We at Izzy's are uh, on Instagram at Izzy's Paris and our website is izzysparis.com. And you can find me also on Instagram. I'm at Allison underscore cave. That's uh, Allison with two L's and cave with a K. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we look forward to getting those cocktails at the door. Apéro, apéritif, apéro de all terms to describe another part of the French culture of casual living. I think we all agree that the goal here is not to drink as much for as cheap as possible, but to enjoy the moment with friends and colleagues and just unwind after the workday. Apéro can also be done and done well at home. Speaking of which, I think it's about that time now. Thank you so much to Forrest Collins of 52 Martinis and Allison Cave of Izzy's Paris for speaking with us about Aperol. If you have any further questions, comments, check out our Instagram at Wine School Dropout for a few Aperol ideas, drinks, and charcuterie boards. Thank you for listening to Wine School Dropout. This podcast was produced by Studio Chinta and hosted by me, Tanisha Townsend. Our executive producer is Lori Martinez. Sound design and production by Luis Lopez and Kiara Santella. Production coordination by Catalina Oyos. Our theme was done by Gabrielle DeMasso. Music is by Makai Beats. Our art is by Tiffany DeLoon. Follow us at Wine School Dropout on Instagram. If you'd like the show, tell a friend about it. And leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sit back, 
relax, and have a glass. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 